When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Sham, joined today by Ellison Wiest. Hello, Ellison. Hello, Sarah. So happy to be here. It's yeah. that time of year. Yes, yes. And as you mentioned beforehand, as we record this June 28th, today is your father's 94th birthday, and it would have been my mother's 97th birthday. That's exactly right. Yes. And it is Dimity's daughter's birthday. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, she must be an awesome person. Then, right, because exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shout out to our parents uh, who really instilled us with the love of reading. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Oh, look at that little, little hint as to what this episode might be about. <laughs> yes, folks, this is our annual summer reading episode. Um, but but uh, I'm glad I caught you before you jetted off to Sweden, Ellison. That's right. That's right. Yes. Uh, a week from today, uh, Carl and I head over to visit my dearest friend and uh, BFR. BRF. Uh, no, BRF. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's Monica, who uh, lives over in Jotaberry or Gothenburg, Sweden. Mm-hmm. And uh, she and I have not seen each other because of the pandemic and other things uh, for seven years, <gasps> or six years, six years. Wow. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And tell us a little bit about how long you'll be there, where else you might Ooh. be traveling. Well, we're going to fly into Copenhagen and spend about a day there, uh, do a little traveling uh, on the coast of Sweden. Then we're going into Gothenburg. Um, they have a very nice flat uh, in the middle of the city, and we'll spend some time there. And then they have a lovely cabin about an hour and 45 minutes from the city mm-hmm. that's on a lake. They spend a lot of time in the summer there. So we're going there. And I have to tell you that I was talking to Monica about what I should pack. Mm-hmm. And Monica said, okay, uh, no swimming suits if you're okay with that. And I said, <laughs> okay. And she goes, we never wear swimming suits uh, out here. And I was like, Okay. All right. <laughs> Why and, did Sweden uh, do his? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I went to Carl, you know, I said, is this Bob? Nope. I said, okay. But I had to say to Monica, a lot of things have changed and gone <laughs> south in six years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's a young 50 something so or she's 50 that's all she is so. uh-huh, uh-huh. oh my yeah. goodness oh my yeah, goodness so we're just i think we really are just kind of let them take the lead and you know monica and i've always traveled well together we know each other so mm-hmm. it'll be great mm-hmm. and how long will you be gone total uh total will be gone i'm not quite i guess it's nine days total mm-hmm. yeah and then we get to come back and uh get ready for school starting a wait. week later wait yes what yes south carolina has gone to a full year oh. schedule they're going to 
And so uh, Carol goes back, uh, my daughter's a teacher, she goes back on the 18th, and the kids go back on July 25th. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And when did they get out of school? Uh, they got out of school June 7th. Oh. So they had six weeks, but now, you know, flip side, in October, they'll get two weeks off, mm. a fall break. They'll still get the same amount of time at Christmas. And in the spring, mm-hmm. they will get a full two weeks. Mm. The thought is twofold. Students don't lose knowledge as rapidly. Sure. Mm-hmm. B, with the teacher shortage, they're hoping that they won't have as many burned out teachers. Mm. Well, and let's not ignore the fact that it is South Carolina, so... For some people, going to school might be their opportunity to have air conditioning. That's exactly right. Sad to say, but there are those those mm-hmm. cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I was going to say for for food as well, so that if they have yes. food insecurity yes. in their lives, it's um, that's exactly a shorter period right. of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in the school where Carol teaches, that is a huge problem. I think in um, more schools than we can even imagine. Yeah, or fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, what's going on in your life? How are the youngins? Oh, they are good. My recent college grad or high school graduates. Getting ahead of myself there. Recent high school graduates, and so my. I know. I'm glad you're sitting down, Allison, because um, <laughs> as I think you know, my kids have never been my my twins in particular have never been huge readers. And so, but my son is, John, is fully engrossed in a novel. Oh, wow. (laughs) And uh, it is The Shining by Stephen King. Oh, that's a good one. And I got to say, you know, Stephen King, yes, he's incredibly popular. He's also an incredibly talented writer, particularly his earlier work and some of his more recent things. But I think he really went through, he he had a big um, gap there in my estimation, starting around Christine and Cujo and that sort of thing. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I just was, I was addicted to Stephen King when I was in high school. And so, (laughs) so um, a few Christmases ago, I gave John a copy of The Shining and a copy of Carrie so he finally picked up The Shining, and he just was like, Mom, I, you know, I, I read 100 pages today. Mom, I'm reading 100 pages a day. Like, da, 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 da. So anyway, so the opening line of, or part of the opening line of The Shining is one of my favorites, if not my, my most favorite, which is whatever the main character's name is, and, he's, and he thinks, a vicious little prick. Um, (laughs) so, so I remember the first time I read that I had to look up the word officious. And Uh uh, so I said, when John said he was reading The Shining, I said, officious little prick. And and he immediately knew that I was not calling him that. And he's like, oh, I know. And I said, did you have to look up the word officious? He's like, yeah. And he said, Uh I oftentimes look up uh, words as I'm reading. And I was like, oh, that's good. You know, in this age of hyperlinks that he just, you know, you can't push on the page of a book and make it tell you what the definition is. Like, right. And so, so he immediately then rattles off all the words that he had looked up. And I don't know about you, E, but when I have to look up a word, an hour later, I don't remember what word I looked up. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's gone for the ages. Yeah. For that <laughs> sweet moment in time, time, I knew what it meant. <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah. So he was just like, oh, blah, 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 blah. and I was like, wow, this is amazing. So anyway, so I knew that he and he started a intensive dance camp this week that goes on for three weeks. And so he's it's cutting into his reading time. So I asked him on Monday, oh, did you finish The Shining over the weekend? No, I want to save it so that I can really <laughs> save savor it. Yeah. every last drop. <laughs> so, so he's one of us. Oh, he's good. One of us. good. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome, John. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness all right well no stephen king on the docket but let's um nope. let's kick off our conversation with fitness sorry fiction fiction <laughs> the intersection of books and, and exercise uh yeah, yeah no fiction so let's uh talk about our headline book first since we both read it yes yeah yes. oh my goodness so it is tom lake by ann patchett who is author of the highly acclaimed books such as The Dutch House, State of Wonder, Bel Canto, and others. So, E, you and I have held our tongues so we could, as I would say, save it for the podcast. That's exactly right. <laughs> and we do need to mention that this will not be coming out until the 1st of August. Yes, yes. So, but you have plenty of time to, to go put it on hold at your library, assuming your library has it in its mm-hmm. database. But anyway, it is fantastic it is so good uh, so good and this is the first book of hers that i've really been able and i never do this but i have envisioned so much of it in movie form Mm. i don't know about you but there were certain passages especially towards the end Mm -hmm. where i was just i thought oh i can see this i can see this going on exactly exactly i mean Oh my gosh, I can, so we should say that it's about a a family and with three grown daughters. And so they have convened on their cherry farm, cherry orchard. Um, It's a business. Where they grew up. Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. Where they grew up in Michigan. And it's, you get some slight references that you realize that the reason they're there is because it's during the pandemic. And so they've, you know, they are hunkering down there and they're having to do the bring in the crop and uh, cherries are not easy fruit to bring in. Uh, We we know that from the book, but we also know that from me living in Oregon and you having lived in Oregon, it's a, it's a finicky fruit to, to harvest. And so, but it's then also the mother recounting to her daughters the story of her um, love affair with a man who is now uh, has become gone on to become a very famous actor kind of uh george clooney george clooney type. i was gonna say yeah who did yep. you who did you yes. envision it being yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so yes. so oh my goodness it just it was a quiet novel. It has, I mean, I just even talking about now I can see the picture that Ann Patchett painted in my mind of the orchard and the girls and the mother and the flashbacks to the, to the um, summer stock theater where the mother who had been an actor as well. Oh my goodness. I can just see it all. And my goodness, it was, mm. It was it was done well, and it was laid out well too, because mm-hmm. it's you know another one of those books that's in essentially you know two time moments in time, mm-hmm. and she did it so well. Mm-hmm. I have found that that it is a lot trickier to do, and sort of uh, migrating between her voice as a young woman in her twenties mm-hmm. to this woman who now is probably in her early fifties, mm-hmm. and I was in love with both. Errors, you know how sometimes you'll read a novel and 
uh, you love the part in the past, mm-hmm. and then when it comes to the present, you're like, yeah, yeah, come on, let's <laughs> exactly. Back to the past. How many pages till the end of this chapter, and hopefully then yes. they'll go back to the past? Yeah, yes. totally, totally, totally. And I didn't get that now. Yeah, my goodness, it is just phenomenal, phenomenal. Yes. So I've already yeah. been telling everyone just. But, you know, place an or- pre-order for it. As you said, put it on hold at your library. Hopefully you have that yes. system. It just is, it is exquisite in a very quiet manner. Yeah. And if you're a huge Ann Patchett fan, <laughs> go to her bookstore, uh, Parnassus mm-hmm. Books, which is in Nashville, and mm-hmm. you can pre-order a signed copy. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you can pre-order yeah. that on her website as well, a signed copy. Oh, good. Yes. Great. And, uh, yes, and I am going to hear Ann Patchett speak uh, downtown. <gasps> I'm pretty sure it's at I Keller heard. Auditorium uh, on September 7th. That's what I saw. It's part of the uh, Portland Arts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, so. All right. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't going to do it. And because, you know, to if you want a ticket that gets you a hard copy of the book, it's a signed hard copy. It's $85. I'm like, oh, I can't drop that kind of money Ouch. with three kids yes. going to college. And so right. but then I'm like, wait, I already have the book. I don't need that package. So, right. um, you know, so I got a $40 ticket, which I just reminded myself that during shut down. I missed live events so much. And, and I was like, wait, yes. Sarah, you love Tom Lake. Go see Ann Patchett. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so sorry. You can't be here to go with me. That's okay. Yeah. That's okay. I'm going to try to get up to Nashville and see Parnassus books. It's oh. one on my, it's on my book bucket list. <laughs> book bucket <laughs> list. I like it. <laughs> but another one that I really hope that, that people, which is out now that, that people will, uh, pick up is Such Kindness, mm-hmm. which is a new novel from Andre Debus uh, III. Mm-hmm. And I've talked before, I think, but I don't think recently about how much I loved his memoir, which is called Townie. Mm. And it was, uh, I think it's probably 18, 20 years old by now. I mean, it's it's an older book. And I'm not a memoir fan, as you know. Mm-hmm. And yet Townie was just exquisite. Mm. And this novel is about uh, a guy in his 50s, Tom Lowe, who used to be a pretty successful contractor and had built this dream house for his wife and his son. And he had an accident on the job, a very debilitating accident Mm. uh, that not only kept him from working, but also got him addicted to pain pills. And the other thing that I mentioned, the house, that the beautiful house that he built for his family, he, this was before, this was probably in the early aughts, and he was talked into an adjustable rate mortgage. Oh. And of course, then 2008 hit. So while he's out of work, uh, struggling, you know, to find his way in that regard and heal, all of a sudden, his mortgage begins just you know, his payments go out and skyrocket. So when we meet him, he is now divorced. He's not addicted to pain pills anymore, but he drinks too much. He's living in very, very dire straits in some Section 8 housing. And what Debus does here, which I just think he's phenomenal in this, is this is not a like, oh, gosh, you know. I mean, it's, it's an eye-opening book. And it's, it does not beat you over the head with how really dire his situation and those of the people around him can be. But it centers on the fact that his son is about to turn 20. 
and uh, he's desperately wants to go visit his son. He's an hour away through circumstances. He doesn't have transportation. His money situation is very, I mean, everything's dire. And mm. it goes through these couple of days where essentially he is trying desperately to get to the son who he loves and who he finds out during this process is uh, going through a very hard time himself. But the characters and the writing, I really just had a hard time putting this away. And yet mm-hmm. when you, you hear the description, you think, oh. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, the headlines of a newspaper come to life. Yes. And yeah, the, the mortgage crisis and addiction and... Wow. Uh huh. So, so it's not depressing or dispiriting. I mean, it, it kind of, you know, it focuses on kind of that glass castle strata of society. Yes, it does. But at the same time, I think the way he uses the character to show you how people can get into these circumstances. This was mm-hmm. not a guy, you know, who, I mean, this was a man who was carrying on with his life, taking care of his family, doing well. And, suddenly he had the rug pulled out from under him Mm. and it's very some of the things it talks about like he has a neighbor who's a young uh, single mother with three children and you know you you understand that there are a lot of people that are judging her and yet you Mm. learn more about her her circumstances and her Mm. dreams and it's not done in a pablum you know it's not like Mm -hmm. uh it doesn't beat you over the head with anything. It's just very eye-opening and also, for lack of a better word, entertaining. Mm. Hmm. All right. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah. You did a good job selling that one. All right. And then uh, The Guest by Emma Klein, who's the author of The Girls. <laughs> Which I could at- not read. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. Because I tried to listen to that as an audio book. I'm like, oh, this is deeply disturbing. Yes. I am going to return this early. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but the guest, now her second novel, Emma Klein, um, you deem this book disturbing as well as fascinating. So I started this book, but time got away from me. So convince me why I should pick it back up. Okay. And I do want to make one point is that this is actually her third novel. Oh, okay. Yeah, good. Thank you. One. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's not, I don't want to say it's like, you know, the proverbial literary train wreck thing, but Klein picks you up, sets you right down in the middle of this young woman's situation, which is that essentially, uh, without coming and saying it, she's been hired as Mm -hmm. a high-dollar companion for a very wealthy gentleman who has a house out in the Hamptons. It's summertime, and she, there's about a 30-year difference. She's about 21, and she makes a very stupid mistake, one of many, at a party, and essentially her sugar daddy mm-hmm. says to her, don't call me john given that's, that's right my son's that's exactly name. <laughs> we're going to right. i can hear you that's how much use my son's name <laughs> i thought that and then i was like no boy she's gonna really get me on that one um says to her i think it's better if you go back to the city and gets her a train ticket and turns her over to his assistant and says you know bye-bye she is determined to get back into his good graces and knows that in about a week's time, he's having sort of a huge summer party. And she thinks, I will just stay here. It will give him time to cool off. And then when he sees me in a week, he'll realize how much he misses me and all mm. will be well. Mm-hmm. And what follows is a series of 
just <laughs> sort of horrifyingly fascinating events where she is trying to find places to stay, trying to you know, find food, anything. Mm-hmm. And she just uses sort of her wits to glom on to different people. And she's not a likable character, but mm-hmm. I love it when authors can take an unlikable character and get you invested. And that's what happened mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I think right. people liked, um, there's a book that came out last year, Night Crawling by mm. Leela Motley. And mm-hmm. if you like that book, this this will also be your jam. Mm. Okay. Very good. Very good. Oh, and now we get to talk about The Covenant of Water. <laughs> 715 pages. <laughs> a little light summer reading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this is a new one from Abraham Verghese. Uh, and he wrote Cutting for Stone, which I'm sure the majority of our listeners are familiar with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a huge hit many years ago. Mm-hmm. The Covenant of Water. This is a book, literally, I read the first paragraph. And about two hours later, I looked up from the book. <laughs> That's no joke. Fugue state reading. <laughs> oh, it was. It was just like, oh, maybe I'll kind of pick this up. You know, fascinating, fascinating, great writing, compulsive, you know, plot. I mean, it's just propulsive, excuse me. Plot, mm-hmm. And it spans the years from about, well, 1900 to the late 1970s. Mm-hmm. And it's set in... Kerala, which is, um, from what I can tell, on India's southern coast. Mm. And it essentially follows a family that has what they feel is a curse. And this curse is that every generation, there's at least one person who drowns. Mm. And when you live on the, the coast, you know, there are waterways that you have to get through. This is kind of an issue. So it starts off with, with a young woman who's being married off to um, a man about old enough to be your father. Oh, geez. Takes you through the next four generations with characters that just, I'm sorry, I know it's cliche, but they really do leap off the page. Mm-hmm. And each one of them, I kept thinking, okay, we've got to have a dud in here somewhere. There's going <laughs> to be a character that... Looking for the turkey. <laughs> right. And never happened. Never happened. Wow. And the ending, the last probably 40 to 50 pages are fantastic. Oh, well, all right then. There's a, there's a cell job for 715 pages. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, I chewed through it in four days. I was just like... And wow. I was useless to my family, I confess. <laughs> At least you're honest about it. I am. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a break to hear from the brands that let us bring you this free content. Please support them like they support us. We'll be back shortly to continue our book talk. All right. Bad Summer People by Emma Rosenblum. Um, Okay, so, (laughs) yes, so after that literally and figurative uh, heavy book that you just talked about before the ad break, it's time for you to talk about this beach read and bonus, it's a murder mystery. Yes, it is. Although I have to confess the murder mystery comes very late in the book and is sort of feels a little bit like an add on. 
Mm. Uh, what it's really about is very, very wealthy people acting very, very badly. Mm. It's a, there's a beach town. It's, it's obviously, it's not the Hamptons. I believe it's a, a made up name and mm. it's a very small beach town that sort of attracts young families uh, for the most part, uh, with children, school-aged children, and very, very elitist, but they pride themselves on not being as elitist as the Hamptons. <laughs> but, you know, it's got the tennis club and the, the annual tennis tournament. Uh, mm. It's got people sleeping with people they shouldn't be sleeping with. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, it's got, you know, the proverbial good-looking tennis pro. <laughs> and... I'd say if you liked Pineapple Street, this is a little bit of a nudge below that as far as the writing, but it's entertaining if, again, you really enjoy reading about very wealthy people acting badly. Mm, okay. Okay. Kind of swings away from the from the such kindness scenario. Oh, so. very much so. This is like mm-hmm. the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Mm, mm. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, you said it didn't focus a ton on the murder mystery that got kind of shoehorned in there, but that does bring to mind that this is our first reading episode in a long time, Ellison, that we haven't featured a novel by dear Anthony Horowitz. I know. Huh. So I, I, you know, thanks to the internet, I found out that, that it looks like his next one is going to come out in time for us to include it in our winter reading episode because it's due out in early 2024 and it's called Close to Death. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so it's part of his series where he inserts himself into the novel and, you know, that inserts himself, Anthony Horowitz, into it. And so, you know, I know you've kind of given up a little bit on, on Dear Tony, but <laughs> I have. I think you, you know, keep holding. I'm out. clinging. I'm clinging. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hoping he's going to return to his former glory because his former glory was glorious. Oh, it was fabulous. It is glorious. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. And if you haven't read the first couple of those, definitely. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And his Moriarty books. I, I love, you know, the, I remember the, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, I um, mean, it's one of two people who are, um, are, isn't he one of the two people who's been allowed to write about Sherlock Holmes, like the Sir Arthur Conan yes. Doyle Society or something, you know? Yes. I don't know. Yes. And yeah. I, mm-hmm. who's the one that was allowed to, was he also the one tapped for the James uh, with, Bond? Uh, Ian, Ian Fleming. I was, as Ian I was Fleming, saying, I'm like, yeah. wait, is it Ian, is it some <laughs> Ian Fleming Foundation or is it a Sir Arthur Conan Doyle Foundation? You know, it's England. I'm sure they have yeah. both of those foundations. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Among many. Yeah. Right, Keep it right. up, England. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You be you, England. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I keep saying the queen, I'm still saying that when I'll say, you know, oh. well, when I go to see the queen, I can't <laughs> get the king in my head yet. So. Yeah, there's not very much coverage of King Charles III, you know, that, that no. he, he kind of flies under the radar. I'm sure that's what they're aiming for. Yeah. But, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh my gosh, yes. The um, when the New York Times reported Sarah Ferguson's single mastectomy uh, Mm. the other day, they Mm -hmm. mentioned uh, they said ex, you know, former spouse of Prince Andrew, comma the disgraced son 
Yes. Queen El- yeah, I was like, whoa, oh, okay, yeah. that's the positive he gets now. You know? Yes. Oh, yeah. And everywhere he does. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. they stripped him and with, I think they did the right thing in that regard. Oh yeah, it was. Just, but it was just ooh, seeing in black yes. and white. I was like, yes. mm-hmm. how, yes. how the mighty have fallen. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm going to get back to talking about books, and I've got a gr- another great debut. Mm-hmm. To you count. love a good debut. Oh, I mm-hmm. love a good debut, and this is called Lucky Red, and the author is Claudia Cravens, and I just I heard about this, and I was like, huh, but. It's a queer coming of age set in the wild, wild west, and mm. it is, I mean, it, it's just rocking along. I mean, you feel like you're, <laughs> I just loved it because, you know, as a kid, I really loved, you know, wild west tales and everything. And this is a great adventure novel uh, with a love story attached, and it mm. follows a young woman. Bridget, who sort of through bad circumstances find herself finds herself in Dodge City and, and she's penniless. Mm. So she has this beautiful shock of red hair and she's noticed by the local madam who pulls her into one of the nicer bordellos. Mm. And of course, here you meet all these great characters, but you also sort of follow Bridget as she becomes aware of the fact that that she is queer and she falls in love with this very uh, well-known female gunslinger. Mm. The pace is great. The writing's excellent. Mm. And there's a plot twist about two-thirds of the way through that I did not see coming. (laughs) And um, that makes it even more exciting as you head toward the end of the book. People who liked Outlawed, which came out a couple of years ago by Anna North, will Mm. love this book. Hmm. Anyone, actually. I mean, I just found it. It's just a really good, rollicking, but also a coming-of-age novel. Hmm. Okay, good, 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 good. All right, well, then we have The Celebrants by Stephen Rowley, who's the author of several acclaimed novels, including two that I just adore, The Gunkle and The Editor. And I know that we've featured both those on past reading episodes. So I tucked into The Celebrants, with such enthusiasm, yet it it just didn't grab me. And I'm going to keep trying, but I've, I've given it several chapters so far and I'd say I'm tepid on it. And I don't know why I do not, maybe it's the setting they're in a um, kind of mid century, modern um, big house at Big Sur, California. So overlooking the coasts and the trees and things like that. And it's totally not scary, but it kept reminding me, the setting kept reminding me of this lousy 2020 horror movie called The Rental. It's filmed <laughs> on the Oregon coast. And I'm hoping you haven't seen The Rental, no. Ellison. No. <laughs> the only reason I have, I'm not a fan of the horror genre, but it was filmed in Bandon, Oregon. Oh, and oh, wow. we, we, my family and I were vacationing in Bandon. So so, you know, teens love horror movies and it was, you know, like, oh, it's filmed here. So, and I mean, it was just lousy. And so I just can't, I, I think it's poor. If Maybe if I could shake that, I could get more into the silverance yeah. because, you know, Stephen Rowley does, he's so witty. He's, you know, a wry observer of things. It's light without being frivolous. His other novels, I'm thinking of the Gunkle in particular, that was kind of light and fun and frothy, mm-hmm. you know, set in Palm Desert or whatever. 
So yeah, it's about um, a group of college friends, I believe they went to UC Berkeley, who convene every so often to celebrate one when one friend in their group is going through a really difficult time, like a divorce or, or a health diagnosis, something like that. They will hold a wake for that person, even though the person's very much alive. So that in the thought that, oh, you get to hear all the lovely things people will say after you're gone. And hopefully by hearing them, then it will kind of buoy you and help you get through this difficult time. Hmm. So um, I just haven't, it hasn't pulled me far enough in yet, but uh, it's, I'm going to give it another try again because I love Stephen Rowley so much. And I know a lot of people who listen, I've talked to them about the gunkle and they loved it as well. And the editor, which is a fictional, as you know, a a fictional relationship between Jacqueline Kennedy when she was a book editor and one of the people who works no, a novelist, her a right. novelist who who takes on her novel, and gosh, I just love that that book. Yeah, so yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I have yeah. not gotten on the Stephen Rowley bandwagon yet. Oh, okay. Um, I I'm going to try this book, and we'll see. Okay, all right. Yeah. You do that. Yeah, yeah. And the one that well, we have two coming up. Um, one that I found okay. <laughs> We've um, entered the meh part of our podcast. Yeah, yeah I'm afraid so. <laughs> Let's try to liven it up and make <laughs> it entertaining anyway. Don't, don't shut us off yet. <laughs> yeah. um, the book You Are Here by Karen Lynn Greenberg, mm-hmm. which I had great hopes for, and as you and I both noticed, has a gorgeous cover, and I have so been known—I have been known to buy a book for its cover. Oh, definitely, definitely. We judge a book by its cover, and this one's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a great cover, but uh, it essentially takes place in a in a mall uh, in Albany, New York, and it's a mall that's dying, as uh, a lot of malls have. As malls are want to do these right, days, <laughs> right? And it essentially is a. Uh, takes place one chapter to another people who either work at the mall uh in in one case it's a woman who uh, gets her hair cut at the mall you know it's vignettes of all these different people and it also goes into their neighborhood so there are some connections there but essentially they are all held by either a tenuous or a strong connection to what's going on at the mall and uh you meet a woman who owns a uh, hair salon, uh, one of her very you know few customers now, an older woman who lives next door to the man who runs the, the bookstore in the mall. And then there's a young girl who works as in sort of like a chicken, uh, <laughs> I guess what you'd call it, it's like a Kentucky fried chicken or something, but she has to wear a chicken costume all the time. <laughs> and she's... She's a uh, high school student who um, has suddenly is suddenly getting a lot of unwanted attention from this strange boy at her school, and mm-hmm. so everything you know is tied in there. But I don't know. I kept I never really got really involved with any of the characters. Mm. I, I just I I couldn't get really onto the book and I finished mm. it, but I, it was sort of like I left, you know, feeling like, you know, I hadn't been filled up. I guess that's what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. So e, it sounds like it was kind of like it, it was a, a big cocktail party that you went to and you just kind of 
went around the room but didn't really engage with anybody and left and was like, eh, yeah. Exactly. Okay. That is a perfect way of describing it. Mm. I wanted to like a, a lot of the characters. I thought the writing was pretty good, but I just, mm-hmm. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I couldn't mm-hmm. get drunk. <laughs> and the food was just so-so. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the canapes, eh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not enough shrimp balls. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I think I think this next one rises for me above that level, but but not too too far. It is romantic comedy by Curtis Mm -hmm. Sittenfeld. Yeah. So another eagerly anticipated book by a well-known novelist, but unlike Ann Patchett's Tom Lake, uh, this one didn't live up to our expectations. No, it didn't. Because my gosh, some of Curtis Sittenfeld's previous books. Gosh, I, I mean, I think I speak for both of us when I say there's a lot of them to enjoy. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I just recommended Eligible to Monica, and she loved it. Oh, I love that. That modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice. Yes. And uh, American Wife, which is kind of a fictionalized take on Laura Bush. Um, right. Prep. I'm thinking I might reread Prep. I had forgotten how much I like that, and it's been so long that I've basically forgotten the entire novel. So, and then I, I really enjoyed Rodham, which is one that we recommended maybe whenever it came out. I think that was yeah. two years ago, maybe three years ago now. Yeah. That was, it was obviously fictionalized. It was, you know, kind of the life of Hillary Clinton if she hadn't married Bill. Yeah. Hadn't married Bill. Yeah. I was like, wait, there was some, <laughs> yeah. there was some, you know, time, Twist. time, space continuum thing. They, they got awry. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. So, so she is a super talented novelist and romantic comedy. It's fun. It's it's frothy, but for me, one thing, the the second part of the book I felt was a really lazy approach to advancing the plot, which is to have emails going back and forth between the two main characters who are um, one is a writer on a show that's basically Saturday Night Live and it's called Night Owls, right? So what? Yes. yes. And yeah. then she has um, her name's Sally and Sally, as I said, is a writer on the show. She's in her thirties and she hasn't really had any successful relationships in her life. She's divorced and kind of just on dating apps other than that. And then they have a guest on the show who is a, not only the musical guest, but he's also the host. And so they really have quite a great rapport when he is the guest. She helps him rewrite a sketch that he's proposed and they really seem to have chemistry. She can't decide if it's all in her head because she feels that she's not worthy of him. Like why would this hunky, you know, world platinum musician take any interest in her? And so then when they do reconnect again during the pandemic, the, now the pandemic has worked its way into several novels yeah. that, um, that she just, I guess in a shorthand, doesn't feel worthy. Anyway, it, um, you know, it's, it's fun. And, and I don't know, I, I hate to say it, but I could actually see this is a movie version that you talking about you being able to yeah. see a cinematic version yeah. of Tom Lake, but it's very, as its name implies, it's very rom-com-y. And yes. The modern telling of you've you've got mail. Yes. Sort of oh, bingo. Well, well done yeah. summation there, E. So who did you see the musical guest, the um, <laughs> <laughs> um Noah? How who did you see Noah was supposed to be? Because he's not he's not John Mayer because he's not a cad, 
But in terms right. of his music, I guess I felt that and and looks. That's that's who I came upon. Oh, but personality God, wise, you're you're asking me, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, the, now you're gonna say something. Still with Bruce Springsteen <laughs> and Tom Petty. Yeah, so let's, <laughs> let's go with yeah, Mick Jagger. I'm not, uh, <laughs> not yeah, you just turned what eighty yeah. five. McCartney. <laughs> I'm making fun. I'm making fun. Love no, ya. it's okay. You're pretty spot on with my musical. <laughs> yeah, I don't know because I think of some, but they are cads. Right, right. Uh, oh gosh, you would be better to answer that. Yeah, I don't know who it was supposed to be, but it was it was, you know, I, I definitely wanted to find out how it ended and um, you know, the writing was engaging enough and but it just I'd call it serviceable because mm, I, mm-hmm. oh, I like I that. just yeah. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. Yeah, we're at a loss for words. We're at a loss for yeah, words. Yeah, we are. So, so let's switch to nonfiction because it it changes up here. So, good so, idea. So you read King: A Life by Jonathan Egg Egg. I think it's Egg. Egg. Okay. E I G. You know, Jonathan. Our apologies. Hopefully, out of those three, we got you. But um, <laughs> yeah, and you know, people will say, "Oh, but there've been a lot of." you know, King biographies. This one is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it's also, he was privy to uh, a lot more information, both written and then what he did when he was researching, which I think was a really smart thing. He started researching before the pandemic and he started reaching out to a lot of people who had worked with King who he knew were getting quite elderly. Mm. And, um, and we should say it's, we're also talking about Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, sorry about this. <laughs> yes, Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> I, and it's interesting you say that because one of the pieces that he found that really helped him was, as they called him Daddy King, Martin mm. Luther King Jr.'s father, mm-hmm. had actually written an autobiography oh. for the family. And so he was able to access that. He did not speak to any of uh, King's children, but he did speak to some of the cousins, and uh, but a lot of the people like the Abernathys, Ralph Abernathy and his wife. Well, he didn't speak with Ralph, but he spoke with his wife. What I'm just saying is that he really got in there and was able also to say to these people, I've got some of this information, and do you think it's worth going and writing. And they, Mm. they said it was like, he got to speak to Harry Belafonte and, you know, before his death, he actually got to meet with him. But the premise of this book, which I think he he did a really good job with is he feels that we have sort of reduced King to, you know, his speeches, uh, you know, little, you know, two liners, um, the holiday. And he really wanted us to get to see King the man. Mm. And, you know, he went through hell and back again, because he had this incredible responsibility on him. He had so many people looking towards him, had Mm. so many people who wanted him to be what they thought he should be. You know, some people felt Mm -hmm. he needed to be more quiet. Some people felt he needed to be more militant. Mm -hmm. And, it like you were saying, I think we you and I were talking about the New York Times review, I believe it was, that just talked about how it's so readable. And mm, for mm-hmm. me, good nonfiction, when you are really invested in the story and the person and you feel like you're getting a much better and broader idea of, of what made a person tick, mm-hmm. it was it's fabulous. It's one of the best biographies I've read in a long time. 
Wow. Wow. That is quite an endorsement. Yeah. Yeah. I'm intrigued. It's been getting a lot of coverage and piqued my interest in particular because I took the girls to the Civil Rights Museum in Memphis in March oh, when we were wow. out for a family reunion out in the South. So, how yeah. was it? I yeah. haven't been there yet. So it's interesting because I went to the previous Civil Rights Museum, which was across the street from it when Dimity and I did a book event, I want to say in 2012, maybe it was 2013, but I think it was 2012. <laughs> and so now it's moved, they took over the Lorraine Motel, mm-hmm. where King was assassinated. And it's good. It was a lot of, I think they need more artifacts and more things they have it was it's kind of like they took a lot of material and put it on the walls okay and so so it was a lot of reading it was almost like i don't want to belittle it it was it in a way it was a little bit like um a web page brought to life i mean they did some interesting things with like they have a bus there and so they play things on a loudspeaker in the bus but they i want to see Maybe it's just me being a you know the product of two people who adored history. I wanted to see more artifacts, like mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, a family Bible from you know that had been his father's or his some books from his childhood with you know so you could see King's handwriting or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what exactly I wanted, but um, but you know it's very moving to be at the Lorraine and be able to look in the room you know, where he was staying mm. uh, and, you know, was assassinated out on the balcony mm. and to just think about that, oh, this is one of the few motels that, that, you know, he could stay in yes. as he was traveling, Yes, you know, so, and then just to be reminded what a young man he was yes. when he was, you know, cut down. Yeah. He wasn't so, even 40 years old yet. I know. I know. Yeah. So, yeah, I think this, I think this, then you'll love this because you really, mm. really get a, a much more detailed account of his childhood, um, his father. I, I just, mm. I'm very, very high on this book. In fact, it's one of the books I sent my father for his birthday. Oh, very nice. <laughs> but a, another, I think there was another book that I wanted to mention, and it had a, a connection for, for, for both you and I because of where it took mm-hmm. place. It's entitled, We Were Once a Family. And the subtitle is The Story of Love, Death, and Child Removal in America. And it's by Roxana Eskarian. And this is a young writer who I think we're really going to be watching because she did a marvelous job with this to sort of um, remind people. And this is what's interesting as well. I was on the West Coast when this happened, and I've talked to people back here about it and so many people have never heard of it um it was back in march 2018 there were two two women a married couple who drove their suv off a cliff on the pacific coast highway and Mm -hmm. inside with them were their six adopted children two sets Mm -hmm. of three siblings Mm -hmm. and people were just horrified and as we mm-hmm. began to dig deeper, you started finding out that they had the couple had actually been sort of on the run because they had uh, adopted the children in Minnesota, moved to Portland where they mm-hmm. uh, lived for a couple of years, but then they moved up to a very small community just over the border in Washington. And the problem was that on their Facebook page, they would be touting what how wonderful they had this beautiful family and how they had saved these children from 
terrible home lives Mm -hmm. in their biological families. But what was happening was they weren't feeding the children. They were Mm -hmm. neglecting them. Uh, More and more people were calling in concerned to child services. And it eventually got to the point where child services was really, I guess, to put it another way, closing in on them. Mm. And the author does this great job because she says she feels like there was a lot of emphasis on the family that these two women felt they had made and not enough emphasis on the birth families. And Mm. one of the birth families didn't find out about these children dying until two weeks after it occurred. And Mm. she goes back and then she also begins to look at the foster care system and this child protective services and the events is particularly in, in one family's account where there were family members ready, willing, able, and mm-hmm. very much able to take these children in, but they were essentially ignored and slighted. And so mm. she kind of goes back and she just does this kind of incredible job and not in many pages. I think the book comes in at under 300 pages, oh. but of sort of saying, look, Mm. was this the best placement? Why weren't these children given more, you know, benefits? And and she goes back and talks to these biological families. It's just heartbreaking. But at the same Mm. time, sort of like the same thing with such kindness, is you you really get your eyes opened because Mm. we all realize that there's a slant on every story. And um, for a long time, I think the slant was, oh, these poor women – who, you know, had taken in these six children were probably overwhelmed. You mm-hmm. get to see another side. Mm, mm. Yeah, that's interesting to take a, a story that's on surface, what could seem quite sensational, yes. almost exploitative to be writing about it. Yes. And because it is, you know, kind of the, the gruesome, everybody follows its story for a short, you know, for a week, it grabbed the headlines or whatever it was. But to be able to find that it's indicative of a much larger problem and a rift in our society and in, in the structure of our safety net. Yes, that's very mm-hmm. well said. And that's exactly the way she went into it. And like I say, this this writer, Roxana Esquerian, is phenomenal. And I really, mm-hmm. I really expect great things from her. She mm-hmm. did a fabulous mm-hmm. job. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to say, I think we need more books like this because I think there are so many issues that plague our society that but it can it can feel daunting to just pick up a book that's only just about that you know kind of this tome that kind of wags its finger at, yes. at you know the government or um, our security systems or whatever it is but to be able to tie it into something that, that you know a lot of us would be grabbed by and be like oh wow this is a multifaceted thing and it's not just like oh let me read all the salacious oh, details yeah. of no, it. No, not mm-hmm. like this at all. In fact, if you're looking for that, you'll be disappointed. And she doesn't mm-hmm. sugarcoat the, the problems that, you know, some of these the parents, the biological parents and families mm-hmm. had. She doesn't sugarcoat it at all, but she also mm-hmm. shows that, you know, they and some of the family members were just ignored and mm-hmm. it was sort of a we know better. We mm-hmm. know what's best for you mm-hmm. and we know what's best for these children. Mm, mm, tragic. Tragic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to end on a book that's a, a lighter topic, that's one that I've um, just started. It's Wannabe Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shapes Me. Oh, I've heard about that. <laughs> yeah. It's by Aisha Harris, co-host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. 
And I, I adore pop culture happy hour. I always appreciate the perspective that Aisha Harris brings to the movies or the books or whatever it is she's talking about. She admits that she's um, obsessed with pop culture and, but that, you know, as a black woman, she definitely brings a different perspective to a lot of the topics and, you know, kind of how black culture looks at some things that come out like, you know, movies that are, have a lot of black characters in it and that should they be cheering just for, Oh, this is awesome. Here's a, a movie with almost all black actors. And so we have to cheer for it. Well, it's not really great entertainment or it's poor writing or whatever. And so mm-hmm. she, I think it's a lot of criticism sometimes for being critical of productions like that. And so kind of her struggle with that. And there's a whole, the first chapter is all about her name and about naming in, I guess it's Aisha was a, I didn't know this song. It's by some boy band that I'm not now remembering the name of it. And it's spelled differently than her first name, but it was pronounced the same. And so people would be like, Oh, you're named after that song. She's like, Nope, not named after that song. <laughs> and then she thought she was named after um, the Stevie wonder has a daughter named Aisha. Yes. She thought it was, you know, that isn't she lovely is Stevie Wonder singing about the birth of that daughter and meeting her and that she, Aisha Harris, thought that she was named after from that song. And she finds out that no, her dad's like, oh, no, 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 no. It was, you know, the daughter of a friend of mine. She's like, what? Record scratch. Like, (laughs) so the story she'd been telling herself. So, so I'm looking forward to it's essays. So very much, you know, you can read one, put it down, go back to a novel or you're reading whatever Mm -hmm. it is. So I like a, a good nonfiction book like that on occasion. Yeah, I love Aisha Harris. She's great. Yeah, yeah. yes, definitely. Oh, cool. Definitely. Good to know. All right. Well, so perhaps if you love a good beach read, how about a good beach run? Uh, join us for our next running retreat being held November 3 to 6 on gorgeous Hilton Head Island in Ellison's home state there of South Carolina. Shout out. Um, (laughs) So at our retreats, we bring in guest presenters, lead group runs on the flat, hard packed beach, eat delicious meals, do yoga, make loads of new friends and lots, lots of laughing. And it's all with a front row seat of the Atlantic Ocean from our host hotel, the aptly named Beach House. Hilton Head may be our last retreat for the foreseeable future as we're debating pressing pause on our retreats for a bit. So if you've ever contemplating attending an AMR retreat, now is the time to register. To do that, go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on events in the top navigation bar to find all the details and to register. Again, go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on events at the top of our homepage. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medore from Fire on the Bluff. And Ellison, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, whether about books or anything at all. So thank you. And have a wonderful trip to Sweden. I will. I'm on a podcast. Let me go find Carl. Okay, wait a minute. Let me go find Carl. Okay. Okay. Where is Carl? Okay. This is great.